Jonan, what time is it? <laughs> what day is it? You're asking me. I'm so confused. How are you asking me this question? I am jet lagged up to my eyeballs right now. I and I also am because I've been working night shifts and I've got this dreaded fear now that if I go to sleep, something else is going to happen. Yeah, so you're on a bit of a run at the moment. So Saturday, hmm. I finish my night shift on Saturday morning, go to yeah. sleep and wake up and William Nylander is a leaf. Is he? And Sunday... He I signed. Go, <laughs> I go to sleep and I wake up and Levo's being traded. And then yeah. today, Monday, no, today's Tuesday. Yeah. I don't know what day it is. Well, anyway, today I woke up and there's another team in the NHL. Who knows? Two more sleeps before you even hear this podcast. What could possibly happen in the NHL while uh, you're sleeping for the next two nights? Who says that we're not topical? <laughs> Well, I would just like to uh, start off by uh, just pointing out my little prediction. <laughs> well, I thought you were going to like whip out a clip and say, do you remember when this happened? No, You're going to no. play it back to me. Because that would take too much time. But uh, I can... Three episodes uh, ago. Well, uh, just before I left from a little uh, little break, I uh, think I made a little prediction that was uh, to say that William Neander would be a Toronto Maple Leaf by the next time you heard my voice on this podcast. So it's all because of you? Yeah. Yeah, Carl Dubas had nothing to do with it. It was just me wishing it into existence. <laughs> That's all that happened. It was a crazy day on Saturday. We will talk more about that a little bit later because it was a huge story in, in the NHL, not just for the Leafs. And I think that is one important thing that is worth uh, mentioning is actually, although this was very much a Toronto Maple Leaf story, there are definitely this could affect a lot of other teams. This contract is being seen as potentially the new not necessarily the new way of negotiating contracts i don't expect to see loads of players going right up to seven minutes before the deadline or anything like that but we could see this next wave of rfas asking for a lot more money and the nhl maybe being forced to pay their young stars higher up interesting to see how the young stars mm. and this one in particular how cool and calm and sophisticated he was and how he yeah. had some balls. Yeah, That's what yeah. a lot of the agents are saying because I've been listening to <laughs> yeah. the agents' reaction, actually, yeah. um, and how they'll move forwards with this. The other thing, obviously, Seattle, the yeah. 32nd team, they were the first ones to ever get the Stanley Cup and now they might come back. Could you imagine in their first year? Could they... <laughs> They're not going to do a Vegas. Come on. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine doing the one-upsmanship. They're kind of like, I see you got to the uh, Stanley Cup finals. We're just going to go and win Well, one hey, now. they paid, what was it, an extra $150 million. Why can't they? they did. Dreams come true, apparently. Yeah, they're not allowed to. Uh, they're not allowed to. Surely, surely other NHL teams will not get caught like they did with Vegas. They will know what is potentially coming. Also, some other things that have come out from the Board of Governors uh, meeting this week is the cap projection as well. That is, uh, they are planning that to be 83 million next year. So what's it up? Three and a half mil? Yeah, so it's 79.5, of course, um, this year. And then next year, they're planning, as long as the P, uh, as long as the Players Association allow it, then um, it will go up to 83. The thing is, that's not just inflation. 
Well, yeah, but it's... Cost it's, of living goes up. Okay. <laughs> Cost of running an NHL <laughs> team. William Nylander goes up <laughs> in price. I did tweet earlier on in the week going, ah, very good, interesting news, that from the uh, NHL, that 83 million, or as uh, least fans see it, Jake Gardner. That's the uh, <laughs> that's the difference. Um, and also, we're going to talk a little bit about Tom Wilson because I happen to actually witness his latest bout of stupidity in person, I happened to be at that Washington Capitals game against the New Jersey Devils, so I got to see Tom Wilson doing Tom Wilson things. Um, I also saw a very special guest who was in the audience as well, which we'll talk about later on, was actually only sat a few rows away from him, which was very wow. entertaining. Um, not someone you'd expect to see at a Washington Capitals game. And also, uh, you want to tell me about some teddy bears being tossed. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the way I've just you... got it written down on here. Oh, bless. Claire wants to talk about a teddy bear. No, I can't, I can't put the words quite like that. Anyway. Um, and also, we're dividing this podcast in two, actually. Yes. So part one is me and Jolon rattling on, and the second part, um, if you've watched the film Ice Guardians, if you've not, just go quickly pause this, go watch the trailer. It's on YouTube, um, and you'll see what it's about. It's about enforcers and what's what their future is um, or what the lack of future of them mm. is in the league, speaking to some key enforcers from over the years. And we're talking to a lady who is part of that uh, film, Victoria Silverwood. She's a doctor, she's a criminologist, she's a researcher, and she spent many years working in Cardiff and Belfast with ice hockey players, uh, interviewing them about violence in hockey. And she's got some really interesting things to say. She's a big NHL fan and she lives in Cardiff, although she's English as most people in Wales in Cardiff might be, I guess. <laughs> wow, throw that out there. <laughs> Hang on, we're trying to appeal to everyone here. Let's not segregate the Welsh. Well, no, no half, half the people in Cardiff don't have Welsh accents, do they? I, I don't know. I haven't been for quite a while. Well, there you it's go. It's been a while since I've been to Cardiff. But anyway, if you're a listener in Cardiff, you're more than welcome, whatever accent you've got. You've got a got. Welsh accent, at least you're proper Welsh. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right. Let's. I, I kind of want to start by and get it out of the way talking about Nylander because it was the biggest story to happen in the NHL um, this last week. It affected loads of other teams in the future, possibly with their RFAs coming up uh, next year. But, I mean, it was a crazy day on Saturday. So I was in uh, Washington Airport and I was waiting to come home and I arrived at the airport at uh, 4.20 and I had to go through security, so the bit where you're not allowed your phone and the airport Wi-Fi doesn't work. No. So I uh, went offline then at 4.20, knowing that William Nylander was not a Toronto Maple Leaf <laughs> with this 5 p.m. Eastern time deadline uh, that he had to file his contract away. And I was getting to the point where I thought, this actually might not happen because it had been radio silence, like nothing had come out that Apart day. Apart from Elliot Friedman, um, who came out and one of the NHL insiders mm. saying, uh, my opinion is that they'll have a one-year contract and it'll be his last year as a Leaf. Yeah, which is like the worst outcome, really. I think even more than letting him sit. Um, so I'd kind of got to the point by about half four going through the security line at uh, Washington Airport thinking this is actually not going to happen. We are not going to have William Nylander. And I was already kind of talking myself into, no, it's OK. This is fine. This team is like 19 and eight or whatever the record is. Um, and I'm sure Carl Dubas knows what he's doing. Blah, 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 blah. And so then uh, by the time you get through security, it took me quite a while and it... Uh, 
I think the next time I connected to the Wi-Fi was at 10 to 5. So I quickly then go back on. Um, apologies to my girlfriend, by the way, who I was with, who didn't get a word out of me for about an hour uh, just because I was refreshing Twitter like a crazy person. <laughs> and um, nothing had come out still. Nothing had come out. And then there were a few little murmurings, but I didn't believe anything until I saw someone with authority saying that he'd signed. And what, then... Gritty? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? I'd have taken it. Actually, I wouldn't have done because he would have blatantly been taking the, you know. So then I saw it break and obviously Twitter went nuts, or my Twitter went nuts anyway, um, with all the different people saying he signed six years, 6.9 million He's a Toronto Maple Leaf, blah, 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 blah. And I don't know about you, Claire. You were asleep at the time and woke up to the news, you were telling me. Um, what was your first feeling when you saw the news? I woke up like literally about 10 minutes. So as you were going through airport security, I yeah. woke up 10 minutes before. I did actually set my alarm. Uh, did you? Yeah. I'm impressed. I'm I set impressed. my alarm and I, again, was looking through Twitter. Yeah. I was. I think I had convinced myself, and I sent, um, sent you and another guy a message, and I yeah, thinking yeah. it's going to be a bridge deal. It's for it to be this close to the white. It's going to be a bridge deal, and then we'll have to go through it again in mm. a year's time. Um, so I was really surprised that it went through for the full six years, and a decent deal. I think that Carl Dubas has done out of it actually um, yeah. to secure such a good player. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I actually didn't. Th- I thought the opposite with the bridge deal. I thought the br- the time for the bridge deal had gone. I thought if there was going to be a bridge deal announced, it was going to be um, a few, maybe even a month or so ago. I thought the only way that these guys have got to this point now, so late in the day, is they must be close to a long term deal because both sides wanted it. That was the crazy thing. And and listening to the post kind of you know interviews with Dubus and Nylander and all this kind of stuff, and even the the agent um, as well was on uh, I think TSN. Um, all the way through, they're going, well, William wanted to be a Leaf. He always wanted to be a Leaf. Carl Dubes is saying, we always wanted William to be a Leaf long-term, blah, blah, blah. Babcock saying he wants him to be a career Leaf. You're going, well, why did it take this long? Like, if if that's what you wanted, surely getting to this point of six years at 6.9 million, which is what people have been saying since the summer yeah. as the fair figure... I mean, they must have been, and I don't know, and no one knows apart from the few, very few individuals involved in it, they must have been so far apart at the beginning of this Yeah. if 6.9 over six years is the meeting point in the middle. Uh, yeah, exactly. They I must mean, have been what so I far. was wondering was, and I'm sure it'll appear like in a Craig Costance book in the future <laughs> about what really happened. I'd love to know. But... You know, Mike Babcock was coming out and saying, yeah. oh, um, you know, he was very confident, wasn't he, that yeah. Nylander would be back in the He'll lineup. Sign. I wonder whether he was calling up Nylander and saying, just just give him a call. Go on. Is you it, know, yeah. I wonder what his role was in the I don't negotiations. Think much. I think, I, uh, again, only a gut feeling from listening to people talk about it. I imagine his... I imagine his involvement was every day going to Carl Dubas going, you got him yet? Mm. <laughs> you got him yet? How are we looking? You know, should I be planning for with or without him? Well, the, see, the most interesting interview I've listened to over the past couple of days was it was on Leafs Lunch and it was It wasn't with... William Nylander talking. No. Jeez. He's an amazing hockey player. <laughs> yeah, his, hair, his hair. He looks like something from a Game <laughs> of Thrones does. now. He does. That hair is just insane. Yeah. Like, Forget Matthews versus Patrick Line. It's Patrick Line versus William it just Nylander makes with that his hair. His forehead look really big. 
Um, sorry, he's a lovely guy. Anyway, but... back to the hockey. Um, Leafs Lunch had um, William Nylander's agent, uh, Lewis Gross, on. And it was fascinating hearing him talk about just how level-headed William Nylander was going into this and the confidence that a young guy had um, in knowing what he wanted and, mm. and how he wanted to behave throughout that. And saying that, you know, they were talking on the phone every day over the past few months, one or two times a day. Yeah. Um, and just the level of respect that he had. Because you, you don't always hear. Often, I think, in our minds, maybe I, I think of it more from a, a football point of view but the agents you think of like these slippery car salesmen mm-hmm. you know oh no it's you know hard going for the hard deal yeah. um so it was really interesting to hear from that point of view because i think as you said we got so used to hearing reporters say this and say yeah. that it was just getting boring and i think the the what makes hockey and north american sports to a certain extent um different from other sports is the hard cap system so that you know fans know Agents know, players know, owners know that everybody knows what the team is trying to achieve, and the player knows where they fit in with that. So mm. everybody know if you know if there was no hard cap, there is no way this goes to December first because the Maple Leafs are the richest hockey club in the whole league. They would throw whatever amount of money William Nylander wanted. They'd sign him up. Great, Matthews would be signed. Marner would be signed. They'd all be earning twenty million pounds a piece, twenty million dollars a piece. Thank you very much. On to next season. Let's mm-hmm. win a load of cups. But that hard cap system creates this knowledge of the of the kind of system that they're all working to, and I think that's where the level of respect comes because the agent and William Nylander know why Kyle Dubes is doing it. It's not because he's tight. Mm-hmm. It's not because he doesn't want to spend the money. You know, Toronto Maple Leafs would have no problem spending. X amount of money on William Newlander. It's just that they can't if they want to keep Matthews and Marner. And I was just, I was so happy when the deal came through. And I just thought, do you know what? We have now got this golden year as the Toronto Maple Leafs, where we've got Matthews, Marner, who are being paid peanuts this season. Yeah. We've got Nylander now signed. We've got Patrick Marlowe still playing well, which isn't going to last forever, but he's still playing well. We've got John Tavares on on track to outscore his himself in previous seasons. We've got Morgan Riley, who is playing like one of the best defensemen in the NHL. We've got Freddie Anderson, who I'm not quite sure whether I'm going to go with you last week and say he's the best goaltender in NHL history. I think he's number you say? three. <laughs> not in the history. In the league right now. But th- what a golden year we have got now as the Maple Leafs. And I've just decided in my head as a Leafs fan... I am not going to worry about next year and the cap crunch and all of that. I'm just going to enjoy this year. And then wherever that ends, that is when I will start worrying about Marner and Matthews and Kapanen and Jonsson and all that I just that asked you before we started recording yeah. about whether you want to go to the to Toronto on the first week of the playoffs. Yeah. And you said, well, we might not get to the playoffs. And then you come out with that. Oh, we will. I was joking. We will get there. Yeah. But the Atlantic Division... What division to be in, though? I mean, you look at it, and I mean, it's it's never easy being a Leafs fan. And even when you've got a team as good as this one, they're suddenly in a league like the Atlantic Division is this year, where every single team is amazing. Even the, the ones that were supposed to be bad are good. Just looking at the impact of how the Nylander deal has rippled across yeah. the league, because yeah. they're obviously other people in similar situations to him and and there's been mixed response hasn't there from from agents saying it was a good deal it was a crap deal yeah i wish there always going to be i mean 
again, I don't think anybody has a problem with William Nylander earning six point nine million a year from year two onwards. So just in case you have been in a uh, in a I don't know in a social media blackout and you don't know, he signed uh, six point nine million dollars over six years. But the first year, there's this weird kind of rule with the the most recent CBA that means the kind of it's a front loaded contract. So he gets kind of like ten million this year. And that's his cap hit for the Leafs, which isn't a problem for them because they've got loads of cap space this year. And it actually takes some of the the, the money down or the cap hit down over years two to six. Just good news for the Leafs. It's, uh, it's good news for William Nylander because he gets his money up front. And if there is a lockout in a few years' time, then it, it safeguards him against that. Um, Miko, um, Miko Rantanen yeah. is somebody whose agent must have been watching that, tapping their fingers, thinking, hmm... His yeah. contract's due to come up uh, this year. Lion A. Yeah. So there's loads. The... I mean, there's there's a load of players next year. I'm trying to find the list. Somebody put together a list um, of players who of RFAs who are going to be coming up next year, and it's huge. The list. Um, you've got uh, the Boston defender. What's his name? Charlie McAvoy. Um, he's another one. Uh, I think there's quite a lot of them who are going to be coming up. And so yeah, to see whether what impact this has on negotiating in the marketplace moving yeah. forward. I suppose it depends on who your GM is. Um, people might and like your situation. To think that, yeah, Carl Dubas has come out of this, and you know we, we, we've mentioned at the start about uh, Josh Levo being traded, and he was someone who had been sat as a healthy scratch for a while, got this opportunity to play because Matthews and Nylander were out of the the lineup for the Leafs, mm. did very well. But I like the fact that uh, Carl Dubas came out and said you know we we wanted to stick to our word we said if there wasn't a space for him day in day out in the lineup that we would um let him know if an opportunity came up and they did and the deal that they got for an exchange um i forgot the name of the other fella michael mcconey mcconey carconey carconey michael carconey an ahl winger will be great for the marlies um but not necessarily for the leafs but carl dubis was a man who stuck to his word the interesting thing was that when he came out of the deal with nylander he said Something like, I'll never trade you. Yeah, no, he said as long as he is the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs, yeah. he's not going to trade him, which is the assurance he gave him, which, for, to be honest, out of everything that happened, odd. well, I think out of everything that happened, apart from him actually signing, that was the biggest take from all of this, is that Carl Dubas has come out on record and he has said, as long as I'm here, not trading Nylander, because that's the narrative even I now. don't believe that. Do you I know just, I, I do. At the end of the day, you're a GM, it's about business. And that's nice that you could say to your word, but you do not know what's going to happen later down the line. And actually, I'm not saying that Nylander doesn't appear to ever be this, but if there was some kind of dispute or some kind of animosity in the locker room, then look at things like Eric Carlson, for instance. Yeah. These trades happen. But I think, you know, with the history that Dubas and Nylander have from knowing each other through the Marlies and with what Dubas is trying to do, you know, with building around Matthews, Mann and Nylander, I just don't see why there is a sense in trading him and you make it work. And I think that's going back to what you were saying about, you know, agents seeing the deal as, as you know, who won and who lost. I don't think anyone's disputing the fact that, you know, that $6.9 million is a fair price for William Nylander. It feels about right. David Pasternak's below him. 
but he's on a steal of a deal. Drysaddle's above him. He's on a, Eight and a half. not a great deal. So he's kind of in that middle, which feels about right. I think what a lot of it is coming out for is can they make him fit under the cap? So I wonder whether that will be something that the Leafs have come up against and whether some of the other teams might not have that same issue. Um, But who knows? It is interesting. And I think next year there's going to be a lot more of these, not just Matthews and Marner, but other teams, as you say, like Rantanen at uh, Colorado is having an incredible year. Well, but can I say, imagine negotiating with your boss um, a pay rise for yourself of... Not like a f- and a fair what's the what's the term like fair value of um what you're to become not just what you are today yeah. so you're setting yourself yeah. the pay that you're going to get for the next six years so in six years time you're going to have way more experience mm. like and that's the problem in the that's whole a hard convo to have isn't it yeah and it's it's the problem with the salary structure because you can't have deals that drop off at the end and as far as I'm aware you can't have deals which are front loaded either so Nylander's kind of saying well okay I'm not I'm, he probably said I'm not worth 6.9 million now which he isn't but next year he might well, be 10. Ne- well, then, yeah and then the following year he might be worth 10 the following year we might be looking at things he's worth 12 so he's got to find an average across the whole contract mm. but I don't hate the contract I love the fact that he's there for 6 years that gives us the, the kind of the stability to be able to now work out the other ones um, but if you're if you're a Leafs fan or if you're any fan of an NHL team and you fancy um, uh, wasting an hour of your life go over to uh, Cap Friendly the website and uh, click on the little tab which is where you can be your own GM and uh, set it all up and you can basically set your team for the next few years and it puts you in the GM seat and you basically just get a really nice website which you can kind of go through and offer players different contracts and uh, trade and see if you can get the team to fit and I was doing this earlier and so far I can't get it to fit yet. I haven't tried uh, that. Do you know what? We need to tweet that link. Because I remember Cap I Friendly, did go amazing. look at Cap Friendly the other yeah, day. It's brilliant. Um, and someone mentioned it on a podcast I was listening to. It's a well. wealth of knowledge. Everyone uses it from the kind of Chris yeah. Johnston's and Elliot Friedman's on Hockey Night in Canada to, you know, Muggins over here in, uh, you know, Manchester in England just having a bit of fun. <laughs> Everyone uses it. It's an incredible database of hockey knowledge of all of the contracts and everything. Um, so go on there. But the little beer GM thing is quite fun. And I had a, a lot of fun trying to make that fit. And I'm going to get it to work before the end of uh, this week. And I'm going to get it to fit so that Matthews, Marner and all of them lot can sign. <laughs> then I'm going to send it to Kyle. And, you know, just in case he needs a little, you know, bit of help. <laughs> Seattle. Yeah. Here's some of the names that people have been sending to us. This Seattle is brilliant. Seattle Chiefs, Seattle Surge, Seattle Grunge, Seattle Jumbos. So this is Seattle, the 30-second team. They need a name. They actually haven't got a name. Seattle Starpucks. Star. These are names that you've been sending us uh, on our on our Twitter um, of what you think the thirty second team of NHL. And actually, I did go and, and look because I, I think there have been some uh, articles written around yeah. this. Seattle Steelheads, Seattle Skyline, Metropolitan Snowcaps, Thunderbirds, Nighthawks, Sasquatches. <laughs> I can't read half of them. <laughs> Pilots. Skyscrapers, Thunderwolves, Grinders, to do with coffee, no, no. Neon Warriors, Grunge. And will they come out to Nirvana? It's going to be Metropolitans. Do you think? Mm. Is, is that not weird when the they're, they're, they're not in the Metropolitan Division? Yeah. 
Anyway, obviously, we shouldn't... This sounds very girly, doesn't it, getting hooked up on a name? But what I'm amazed about is this this city is hungry for hockey. Yeah. The fact that in March they put down these deposits, which were snapped up. They've got a waiting list of like 10,000 plus Mm. of people wanting to get season tickets. Um, And I didn't know the full history. When you read some of the articles about um, them winning the Stanley Cup, almost before the NHL existed. What was it, 1917 or something like that. Um, Where have they been all this time? It's amazing, isn't it, how things change. But obviously, when you bring a new team in, there's got to be movement. So listening to some of the the guys talk over the the past couple of weeks about uh, the financial difficulties that Arizona Coyotes are having, I didn't know very much about that. I don't know much about Arizona. Love to speak to a fan of uh, a Coyotes fan if you are listening to this. Do they have any? Mm, Well, maybe that's the issue. Particularly from afar, because you're not spending a lot. <laughs> Imagine are you? that. Um, but you know the idea that they will—they're moving from Pacific to Central. Yeah. But will they last? And then does that create a space for Houston to come in? So, if you're Arizona, you are—I—I I cannot imagine that has gone down well. If you're Arizona, because you've been in the Pacific, and you know the Pacific has been this crazy difficult division for years and years and years. L.A., Anaheim. Teams like that, San Jose, have just been so good. Like, they've just been a monstrous league to be in. You need to call your mate Liam Kirk. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's playing in Ontario at the moment. But, yeah, I mean, I just think if you're Arizona, you're looking at this going, hang on a minute. Are you telling us we are now moving to the, the league with Nashville, Winnipeg? Like... You, you've basically moved us from the division that's been impossible to get into the playoffs and now, this season, it looks like there might be a bit of room to get in with Anaheim and LA. They've not made the playoff in the last six seasons. Yeah, but if they were going to make a run for it, they could put together a run of performances. It's a one-way... It's They not, could do it this year. It's not a great way to kind of help them financially, is it? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's it's an interesting... I'd be interested to know what the reaction is in Arizona. I could be completely wrong. I'm just looking at it from a fact of you're going from a division that historically be, has been impossible to get into the playoffs to now moving across in a few years' time to a division that is becoming the powerhouse. You know, the Atlantic and, you know, with with all the teams there and then Nashville and Winnipeg fighting it out. I mean, in the central, I think that's, I think that's tough on them, but... I don't know. I, I guess they've got to even it out, haven't they? And Seattle is going to create some really good rivalries on in that Pacific division. Um, I, it's exciting. It's for always Seattle. a place that I've wanted to go. Seattle. Yeah. And so's Vancouver. I've never been that side um, uh, so far north. I've done, done California, but I've never been that far north. And it feels like a great road trip. Yeah. That would be brilliant, wouldn't it? Imagine following the Leafs. Um, you know, maybe you do Winnipeg, Vancouver, Seattle. I've always wanted of... to do the Californian road trip. I've always thought that would be really cool. So I did a bit of it, but I'd love to do it following the Leafs. The problem is I don't have a you know a private plane which they do to like keep up with them. <laughs> so it might be quite difficult. Um, but yeah, I think I... <laughs> it's exciting for the league because you know, or the board of governors voted unanimously in favour of Seattle. It's another team. I remember all the excitement about Vegas the other year and, you know, the the expansion draft is going to be the same format as Vegas had apart from the fact that Vegas are exempt from it. Um, so same deal for all the teams. You're going to have that 
expansion draft, which was a terrifying prospect to a lot of teams, um, and some big names did go. Of course, Mark Andre Fleury leaving the Pittsburgh Penguins was probably the biggest name, um, and I know Florida got a little bit screwed over um, on on that expansion draft. So it'll be interesting to see teams whether they've learnt from that, and they must have done because you know I I think it's going to be harder for Seattle just because teams have been through this very recently and they're going to try and make sure that they don't get burnt like they did against Vegas. Mm. Let's just recap a couple of other things. Mm. Um, Philadelphia Flyers named their new GM to replace Ron Hextel. Um, His name is Chuck Fletcher. I don't know very much about him. Used to be the GM of the Minnesota Wild. Also a team that I don't know very much about. And I have a fascinating Minnesota fact. So at the start of the game... (laughs) Of course you do. um, (laughs) Hey, you're going to love this. Tyler Ennis used to play for them. That's yeah? not it. That's no. not it. Okay. So at the Tyler Ennis scored against them. I, I enjoy watching the start of Hockey Night in Canada yeah, for yeah, yeah. the very first 90 seconds because it's, it's always it? a great introduction. Even if you're a lot of Leafs fan, just mm. go find the Hockey Night in, in Canada yeah. feed and watch that. And they, they started talking about um, it's the land of 10,000 locks. And I thought, what on earth are they on about? Eh? Right? That's what they said. Right. It's all about, even the mascot, uh, Nordy, has a mullet. I was thinking, what are they on about? So I went and Googled about this. Yeah. And apparently um, they have um, an all-state um, hockey hall of fame. So they get right. all like the different college teams. It's known as the state of hockey. They do this big event. And the actual main event is the all-state hockey hair team, of which 10 players are selected and they all line up next to each other and they have got the 10 best mains and the hockey players really go for it in their hair. Like William Nylander could get a space in this. Hey, but, but hey then... he's not being traded to Minnesota. Let's <laughs> stop that, Claire, right now. But then there is some slang that comes out of this. For instance, salad. Talking about a guy's salad, his lettuce yeah. or flow. That's all about, that's slang for a bro's long hair. Right. Hey, mate, you've got some nice salad there. I mean, I've never been to Minnesota. You've not got long enough hair to even get this. But salad. So next time you see a guy with long hair or like, you know, when they take their helmet off after a fight and they're flicking the hair over. Kapanen. Kasperi Kapanen. Exactly. He's got a beautiful salad. Stone my beating heart. So that's the fact that I have um, for you today. That's. I mean, uh, to be fair, I, I, I joke with you, but I've got no facts about Minnesota other than Tyler Ennis used to play there. That's that's literally all I know about them. Again, if you're a Minnesota Wild fan in the UK or anywhere else in the world outside North America, we'd love to hear from you <laughs> and get you on. And you can educate us about those teams. I think we should try and make an effort of getting to some of these more far-flung uh, teams, particularly over the next couple of weeks. Um, it would be really nice to hear from some of them. I'm saying that. It's going to be hard to find. But we'll try. We'll try. They're out there. The only thing I wanted to mention was the teddy bear toss record, uh, of oh, which yeah. 34,798 bears were tossed for the Hershey Bears. How many times can I say bears know, in yeah, one yeah. sentence? Yeah. Um, it was an AHL uh, game, yeah. and it was incredible. And, I mean, there is a bit of a thing about teddy bear tossers, and of the game, yeah. one game that I went to see live, yeah. uh, which was with Manchester Storm, there is the teddy bear toss curse. 
because the idea is you, you throw the teddy when your your team scores and quite often what happens is if your team doesn't score so you get the curse and this is a oh, this man. is a thing so i guess they were pretty glad because imagine if they hadn't scored and there were 34,798 bears that were waiting to be tossed. Hey, you'd let them score wouldn't you you give them an empty net surely you'd like go no, you go two up and then go go on, they cringe isn't it but the the crazy thing about teddy bear tosses and, and if you go on uh, youtube i've actually tweeted the link on our twitter page at nhl fans from afar mm. and it, when you really far up you don't even make the ice so you just bounce it off someone's head further in front of you <laughs> i actually got all the teddy Surreal. bears from uh ex-boyfriends and threw them on the ice <laughs> <laughs> i was like i don't want them anyway but i need them to be like go to good so i took a collection of bears that ex-boyfriends there was in the audience going like oh look at her bringing quite a few isn't that nice oh she's very generous isn't she <laughs> nope just chucking out a load of ex-boyfriends old stuff yep there's a t-shirt in there. There's a hoodie in there. Have it all. <laughs> Have it all. It's, brilliant. it's a brilliant idea. I love how hockey does things like that, and it does it really well. It on a on a far more serious note, but and in, in the same tone, the all of the stuff recently about the NHL, the the hockey fights, cancer stuff they've done has just been so classy, and they do it so so well over there, where they just literally get every aspect of the game, and somehow around the game that's going on they dedicate little bits of it here and there and even down to you know sponsors changing their logos to being purple on the advertising hoardings and things like that like i just think it's such a classy way of doing mm, it the helmets of the goalies yeah and they do all of that stuff really really well i've got one kind of thing uh, left to mention um before we talk about um ice guardians um I went to the Washington Capitals game against the New Jersey Devils a couple of weeks ago when I was in Washington on holiday. And um, it was brilliant. It was really good. So as a Leafs fan, I've never been able to sit. I've only ever sat in a lower bowl once because I'm not a multimillionaire. Mm-hmm. Um, and Leafs tickets are so insanely expensive that I only ever tend to sit in a high bowl, which is great for the view. But... I have always wanted to sit close to the glass in an NHL game just to experience what that is like. Uh, And I was very fortunate enough to be gifted those seats in Washington about five rows back from the front uh, on the corner. And it was incredible, like just to feel and get a sense of the speed of the skaters, the power of the hits, seeing Ovechkin do his slap shot about 20 feet away really? from me. How much was it? I can't remember. It was a gift, but it wasn't insanely expensive. What, we're talking $100? I think it was in that kind of region, but I could be wrong. I actually don't know, but it was it was not Leafs $400. I can tell you that. Um, but it was just such an incredible experience to sit there because you can... You feel and you hear and you you just witness things that you don't get. Obviously, you don't get on TV and you don't even get if you sit higher up. Uh, you do lose a bit of perspective. Like one end, I ended up watching the TV, like the Jumbotron in the middle of the ice for anything that happened in the other corner because I just couldn't see it because I'm looking through like four panes of glass through like the weird angle. Mm, yeah. But anyway, really good game, like 6-3, uh, watching the Capitals win. Loads of Caps fans were very happy. They were on a good run. I got to see a Vetchkin score. I got to see uh, a Vetchkin pass it beautifully to back room to get a hat trick all of this kind of stuff was great and then of course a trip to see the washington capitals isn't a trip to see the washington capitals without seeing tom wilson do something stupid is it no 
Oh, man. So right in front of us, and it was a game that was, like, it was a bit feisty, but it was nothing, like, it wasn't crazy. Like, it was it was fine. It was, there was a few heavy hits, but... And then, just out of nowhere, there's this play in the corner, and we're watching it. It's right in front of us. And then the next thing you know, you just hear this hit, and you hear this guy hit the ice. So you kind of look round, and nobody in the crowd saw it. Hardly, or hardly anyone in the crowd saw this hit, because everyone was watching the play. <laughs> it was just from behind, wasn't it? You went from down. Yeah. So And then you, everybody looks up at the screen and the referees and all the players. Some of the players saw it and all the referees kind of scrum around and all of that. And then people realise it's Tom Wilson and there's a guy flat out on the floor holding his head and you think, oh, no, not, not this again. And you look up at the screen and he did, I mean, you've probably seen the replay now. It did the rounds um, of last week. He did skate through. The guy was skating the other way, not looking. The puck had long gone. And Tom Wilson didn't get out of the way of him and kind of just skated in a straight line. He got sent off, or he got a kind of 10-minute suspension in the match as well um, for a hit to the head. It was later shown that he actually didn't hit him in the head. It kind of hit him high up in the shoulder. Mm. But the shock factor, I think, was the thing that got the player. What was really interesting about it all, and we won't go into the details of like the hit and, the, and all of that kind of stuff because that's all been talked about. But what I found fascinating was the reaction of the Washington Capitals fans because they were furious. At him no, or the situation? At the, at the officials for him getting... Uh, sent to the the stands and missing the rest of the game. So it's really interesting. So neutral signal. I was on Twitter following it, looking at all of the people commentating it, commentating on it, and they were all going, "This is outrageous. This should get thirty games. This should sit the season. Mm-hmm. He should never play ice hockey again." There's all of these kind of takes going on on Twitter, which is the world that we live in, watching over here. But then in the in the stadium and for Caps fans, they would they just felt so aggrieved that. It was him again. He's being picked on. Yeah, he's and all being this watched, kind of isn't stuff. he? He's, 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 you know. That's the, that's the level-headed argument about it. You kind of think, well, hang on a minute. You, this guy should not be making hits like that because you're you're a man being watched. He hasn't got any supplementary disciplinary from it, and it's probably the right call because it was a shoulder-on-shoulder hit, but not a very clever hit. But I found it fascinating that you know the Washington Capital fans love that guy and they feel very protective of him. And it certainly did make me appreciate just how much that fan base really wants him to succeed and how him being back in the team has done them a world of is good. It, he is a, a player that a lot of um, GMs would probably want in oh, their team. Yeah. A player that you love yeah. to hate. So, yeah. And a very rare player as well, which you know we're going to talk about physicality in a little bit but there yeah. was someone else who was sat a few rows in front of you I couldn't believe this when I saw you tweet so very quickly um, yeah so we were sitting in uh, the stadium and up on the Jumbotron uh, there goes uh, welcome to his first NHL game and uh, <laughs> DC what's a face DC United player Wayne Rooney and I was like are you kidding me that's hilarious thinking oh it's Wayne Rooney and uh, then my girlfriend notices that he's actually sitting just two rows down from us just about I don't know about 10 people over two rows down and he's sitting there with I think it was his son um, was, yeah, watching the game a couple of them couple yeah of on the front row and uh, it was so funny because the poor guy then after that was then just bombarded with people coming up to him and taking photos and asking for selfies and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but he was there explaining the rules to his kids and uh, they looked like they were having a good time. And, uh, yeah, it was really weird seeing the Americans, you know, he is really... I wonder if he paid. No. 
course then not. Wouldn't, Thanks why for wouldn't they put Washington him in a box? Team. Well, he did disappear during the intervals, but he was at front row seats. I mean, that's where you'd want to be, isn't it? You wouldn't want kids. to be on a box. Yeah, yeah. But he, um, no, he, <laughs> his kids looked like they really enjoyed it, and it was, yeah, it was just really weird sitting there. And yeah, in this country, of course, he wouldn't be sitting on the seats. He would be in a box. He'd be hidden away because he would be mobbed. But yeah. even over there, even over there. He is still a huge, huge name, and so many people were queuing up to take a photo. I didn't. I'd just like to point out. Just reminds me, he looks like Shrek. <laughs> hey, hey. Anyway, what do you mean about Wayne. But so that was it. So kind of busy week in the NHL. We haven't talked about any results, like you know Buffalo going on their crazy ten-game winning streak, um, and then not. And then not. Yeah, no, and, and then uh, out. as we record this, maybe when I wake up tomorrow, we might get Toronto <sighs> Maple yeah, Leafs play, win. Play the Leafs, don't they, tonight? That's got banana skin written all over it. Well, the film came out a couple of years ago, Ice Guardians, and that's what we're going to use as a basis to kind of launch into part two. And the guest we're about to talk to has incredible knowledge and has been out and done some amazing research in hockey violence. But we thought we might start with a clip of the film. There's two times when the people stand up in a hockey game. It's when there's a goal scored and when there's a fight. And when there's a fight, everybody stands up. One of the most intriguing emotional moments in a hockey game for me has always been that tiny little slice of time right before they first engage, where it's about to happen and that tension is built up, like the ketchup is so full on that bottle that when you finally hit it, it just sort of explodes. All right. And the crowd roars out of nowhere. Just two players drop the gloves. Maybe you caught it, maybe you didn't. It doesn't really matter how it started if you didn't see it before. You see where the heads are all pointed. You look where they're looking, and you just feel this energy that sort of overtakes you. It's kind of a collective guttural sort of sort of a roar. You know, it's a it's a different it's a different sound coming out of the crowd than when a goal is scored. Uh, like, there was this constant noise and chatter and everything going on, but. It elevated to the point where it was just like, oh my god! Like, I was in the I was in the Rocky movie. Even if they don't want two people to fight, they're gonna watch. It's almost instinctive in us. It harkens back to the schoolyard. Hey, there's a fight. What does everybody do? Circle. If there was no response from the fans, a lot of the sort of intensity of a fight would would sort of leave. Hey, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Yeah. Joel on me, Vic. Hello, Vic, how are you? Hi, I am good, how are you? I'm very good, thank you very much for agreeing to do this. Oh, you're welcome. Dr Vic Silverwood, welcome to NHL Fans From Afar. It's a delight to have you on, and uh, I know we know each other through Elite League Connections, but you are so much more than that, and, and the amount of people that you have followed and spoken to uh, from NHL. Uh, well, I guess we have to start with the obvious. And uh, is there a team that you love the most or how do you define your your colours when it comes to the NHL? Um, I'm a little bit too friendly when it comes to the NHL. <laughs> and 
Um, I like to have more than one team, I'm afraid. Um, traditionally, it was always the Leafs. That was the first team I supported and the team I followed for, I don't know, 30-odd years now. Um, but then I did become a bit of a Caps fan about 10 years ago. Um, uh, they were the first team I saw live, um, and I did become a bit of a fan of the Caps. Is that, be- is that because you just got bored of supporting was, the Leafs? I was going to say, <laughs> 30 years of supporting the Leafs, yeah, that would do it to you. How was, a uh, very quick question, how was the playoff series for you the other year when the Caps played the Leafs? You must have been in pieces. I was. It was really, really tricky because I wanted them both to win at yeah. the same time. And I'd be cheering for every goal and then I'd be like, oh, I'm so conflicted. Yeah, <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't pretty. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, I uh, I went to go and watch the uh, Capitals. I was just explaining um, recently against New Jersey Devils and I saw Tom Wilson doing his Tom Wilson type thing, uh, which uh, we shall talk about in a bit. But why the Capitals? What made you uh, temporarily jump ship or at least put one foot on that ship? <laughs> yeah, I've only got one foot in the capital ship. Um, do you know what? It's it's nothing I could really kind of pin down. It just I just realised I was rooting for them. Yeah, I think just it's all normally it's normally it's normally the case in the UK that you tend to unless you've got some strong connection with an area, you tend to go for an East Coast team because they're the one you're more likely to get to see. Yeah, because of the time zone difference. Um, so. <sighs> Yeah, it's tricky to know why why the why the um, caps in particular, but I think I mean like you've got to you know be amazed at Ovechkin's skill. That was sort mm. of one of those sort of things, and then you begin you know when they constantly battling against the Penguins, you've got to start. <laughs> it becomes even more a case of rooting for them till they win. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe I like them a bit less now they've won. Maybe maybe I only like them. I like <laughs> come back to the Leafs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, come back. I have to say, watching, uh, that was one of the reasons I wanted to go to watch uh, the Capitals was to see Ovechkin. And I felt kind of privileged to be able to sit and watch that guy do his legendary slap shot. And to see him score a goal like that is, that was quite something. And it really did feel like a real moment, even though, of course, if he plays the Leafs, I, I... hope he fails but when you know what you can't help but see what a legend and what a great team player that guy is oh absolutely i mean when i went to watch them the first time i was fortunate enough that through my sort of ice guardians connections i managed to get really good seats right behind the sin bin um so obviously i was sitting like an inch behind tom wilson a couple of times i was gonna say yeah (laughs) i thought you two would get very friendly by the time that uh, the game was over do you know yeah, what I was, no. I was thinking the other day? You know the the guys who sit in the uh, in the penalty box, yeah. and they yes. have like a little little. Um, it's a very posh, like, like um, clipboard, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to see what's on there. What are they? Because they're kind of like studying it, and they're wearing the suits, aren't they? I'd Just love right, to help. Yeah. <laughs> Let me out. Because I've that... heard heard of stories where when guys people like Tom Wilson are in in the penalty box quite a lot, and it's in their home uh, mm. on home ice. That there's like a little bag of sweets or something. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, they get... yeah. yeah, or a special pillow just for them. Or yeah, like exactly. <laughs> you didn't yeah, see no, any of that. No, I think they keep stats um, of the game, so they make sure they've written down the time the player's gone in and come out, things like that. It's nothing, nothing too grand. Mainly, they just sort of seem to be wiping towels down and handing them water. No, oh, playing noughts and crosses or something. <laughs> yeah. It is a terrifying job, though, when you think about it. You are sitting next to 
massive, massive hockey players who have just been sent off for a few minutes and they are at their most angry and you have got to sit there in a glass box with them awkwardly while there are TV cameras well, on you. You say that actually and I've, I've witnessed some... TV cameras. Yeah. <laughs> but I've witnessed uh, yeah. hockey games where the player's been so angry that they've smashed the plexiglass yeah. and been yeah. stood one metre away from that and yeah. witnessed that kind of anger. Or when you get so many of them in a penalty box but you're just like, oh, I can't sit down then. You sit down, it's fine, you have a rest. Well, when I was collecting my data for my PhD, having spent, I spent a year on the bench, so that was sort of very similar. The amount of times I kind of like had to duck to avoid a stick flying in the air that someone had smashed um, in anger or hitting the plexi or fight breaking out, it was quite fun. Yeah. So where did, where did all this start, Vic? So how did you get involved with creating uh, the programme Ice Guardians? Where did it all start? So I um, used to be, well, I've always been a hockey fan. I used to be a fan of, in the UK in Basingstoke when they used to be in the was the Super League at the time yeah. and then moved to Cardiff and started following Cardiff and then the NHL sort of through that, that door really. Um, but I um, was doing a master's in criminology and um, I was trying to think of different sort of ways I could, you know, look to do a dissertation and what I could think to do. And I knew I wanted to apply for a PhD. And I just actually thought, oh, I wonder if anyone's ever written anything about hockey, because it's really interesting that they fight on the ice and have these really kind of aggressive moments. But then the minute they step off the ice, they're shaking hands and buying each other a pint mm. or they're good mates. I was like, that goes against everything else we learn in, in criminology about violence. So I assumed there must be a lot of work on it. And so I did the sort of diligent literature search. And actually, there wasn't. There was barely anything um, from a kind of cultural sort of point of view that kind of explained why players use violence in this way and how they justified it. So I was, became really interested, got together a pitch um, to be funded for a PhD to study the culture of the sport Um and how players make decisions of, of when to um, get involved in a fight, um, when to avoid a fight, um, and general other kind of sort of injurious behaviour, really. Um, and I was fortunate enough to get funded to do that, so I got to spend four years um, being paid to watch hockey, which was not oh. a bad job. <laughs> Sorry, hang on, I've just got to, like, pick up my jaw from the ground for years of being <laughs> but, paid to But not hockey. only that, wow. though, not only to watch hockey, what you were doing, Vic, was you were seeing the kind of culture that was in the dressing room, in the training um, camps of these people as well, and really seeing the reaction of what was happening behind closed doors after these momentous, you know, huge crescendos that would happen across the game. Um, I mean... Going from being a fan to seeing that kind of thing, how did that kind of change your view of the sport? Um, for the negative, um, when you're a fan and you kind of like to look up to the players, when you kind of realise they're just human and they're normally um, tend to be quite stroppy or spoilt, <laughs> um, <laughs> as some hockey players are pandered to quite a lot, Um you know, it bursts your bubble in terms of, it's, they always say, don't really meet people you kind of look up to from that basis. Um, but from the positive, I think I understood really so much more about how they, how much the game meant to them and how much each behavior meant. And, you know, when they felt that they'd been ashamed by somebody um, or put down or um, when they felt um, like they were very strong as a team, the way they defensive of each other and looked after their teammates. I think, 
you know, it was amazing to get that kind of insight. Um, I'm sure there are some people that think because I wasn't a player myself, I couldn't quite understand that camaraderie. But I think being a woman in a very male environment meant that they spoke to me a little bit differently. Yeah, Um, I was going to say, because I mean, I've been in a situation where I've interviewed hockey players straight out of a game. And when you're going, um, you know, uh, around to the dressing room, it can be a bit bizarre, can't it? When they know there's guys, you know, getting uh, getting massaged or getting injuries fixed up or just getting showered and dressed. I mean, was that kind of a bit bizarre as a woman? Yeah, I mean, it it was completely bizarre. But I think if I... I wouldn't have been allowed access to that area had I reacted either positively or negatively to that. Yeah. I think, you know, I just, I, the way I went into it was just either ignoring a lot of stuff. Um, but then I swiftly moved into the giving banter as easily as I got it. So, you know, if, if they started with any kind of particular behavior, I just gave banter back. Um, so they kind of got used to me, I think, and then stopped kind of realizing how they were being, which is always what you, as a researcher, what you want, to do is be able to observe people um, without them really being aware that you're observing them. So were you just with one team or did you kind of go around different teams? No, I was with one team um, and I got to spend a whole season um, observing um, all the training and games and um, off-ice kind of things as well. So um, it was really kind of intense sort of period of data collection. So when, yeah, it was just one team. When it comes to um, physicality, the violence on the ice... Uh, we've kind of established that Jolan is quite anti it and I quite like it. Mm-hmm. It feels like a very Marmite um, situation for fans that they either really love it or hate it. Where do you stand on um, it now, I guess, that you've kind of been looked at all the research, you've witnessed it, you've kind of followed the sport as a fan. Um, where, where Are you allowed to have an opinion at the end of this? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it's inevitable you're going to have an opinion. Um, I, I, I'm i happy to give my opinion because if people, you know, don't want to work with me on that basis, then that, that's their their opinion because I can put my views to the side when I'm, I'm doing some work. I, The more I research, the more I'm concerned about the impact of violence on the players. Um, so I started off being a real fan of watching fights and being involved and I really wanted to be able to give the enforcers a voice in terms of um, explaining why they got involved in that kind of violence Um, but the more I see the impact it has on the players that I research most of whom are just sort of beginning to retire now and have quite serious complications from the sport Um, and you know seeing sort of as Ice Guardians sort of drew to attention some of the players problems that they have um, with their lives now as well. I think we can't deny that we're actually sort of cheering and enjoying people getting quite badly hurt. Yeah, because during the film, there is one particular um, part where I think uh, a Nora expert is talking about how it's the league's responsibility to prevent these cheap shots and that there isn't a need for policemen in the league. Yet there was also the element where they picked, they looked back in history and they picked out Wayne Gretzky, for instance, and yeah. talking about how the greatest player in the game felt that he needed to have an enforcer with him. Um, McSorley was part of the trade when he went to LA Kings. Um, and that uh, having that 
that player that was there to protect them enabled these stars to go and do whatever they needed to do on the ice. And when they weren't there, they felt that presence was missing. I mean, it's not quite the same when we look at the present game, but you could see the impact that Tom Wilson being missing from the Washington Caps had on the Caps game over the past few weeks. But surely with that uh, and surely that nowadays with technology the way that it is and how technology is used by the referees and cameras that and cameras yeah exactly you now don't need that you know the whole idea of that enforcer and correct me if i'm wrong uh, vic but the whole idea of that enforcer is to the referees missed it so i am gonna i'm gonna write that wrong and i'm gonna make sure that guy doesn't try and do that again you can't get away with those kind of things because there are so many cameras and it's rare now a referee misses something and if he does the player then gets suspended afterwards because it's it's caught on camera yeah I mean it's massively changed and I think you know the majority of players that spoke to Ice Guardians bearing in mind it was sort of seven years in the making and it was sort of some two years ago now um are talking about an older type of hockey. I was having a little look through hockey fights um, today, actually, and actually only, um, I think it's five players have got two fights a season and the rest have got one. You know, there's, there's, you're not seeing any kind of enforcer or somebody with that kind of role at all. And even people, you know, cite sort of um, Wilson, obviously he's, obviously he missed a lot of games, but he's only had one fight this season. Um, but he's not, your he's not your stereotypical enforcer because the thing that makes Tom no, Wilson absolutely. so incredible and such a valuable asset is he can skate Eight. and he can score and he can play on a top line. He's not your fourth line guy you bring out to kind of bludgeon someone up if they do no. a nasty hit. You know, the thing that makes Tom Wilson this incredible asset is he's got everything and he's got the kind of the nasty side and he's got the big hitting. Yeah, absolutely. And I th- I think people try and sort of label players like that. Even, you know, you hear opposing teams call him goons. And, you know, there's nobody playing on a team in the NHL that doesn't deserve to be there. There's nobody there for for that role anymore. And I think when you've got that kind of like sort of unwritten agreement that they're not going to be playing, you know, not be signing players like that, mm. then you're going to have a reduction in fights. But I would argue that actually it's not fights that are the biggest um, sort of cause of violence in the league. I think it's actually um, sort of the serious collisions that cause the most damage and fighting is only a tiny aspect of it. Um, I believe the research in, that was in Ice Guardian showed less than 6% um, of um, incidents of concussion and problems like that were down to fighting. Yep, fights, so, like, yeah. Yeah, fights don't make concussions. The game makes concussions. Yeah, yeah cause I know you listened to our, our previous episode with Dr. Matt Hayward yeah. where I was talking about concussion and he's he's an A&E doctor. Um, it's, it's, I can't remember what episode it was, three episodes. He's a San Jose mm. Sharks fan. Look back if you've not heard that one. He's, a, he's an A&E consultant and also a hockey fan and he was talking about just the kind of start of the research we still know very little about this but that is interesting because i think people would automatically assume that the fights are the the cause of this and that's that's the cost but 
Although you look yeah. at a lot of NHL fights and they're, they're nothing more than two guys in a lot of padding hugging each other. I mean, Trying to pull each other's T-shirts exactly, off. Exactly. Yeah. Sounds like a pillow fight, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, or, <laughs> you know, it, a lot of fights are very... If you look at the kind of fights of years ago, they are completely different and it's very rare. Um, there was the guy recently, it was quite shocking, uh, I think it was uh, a couple of nights ago, a Detroit player. I'm not going to name him just in case I get his name wrong, but there was a Detroit guy who kind of, you know, gave someone a proper upper cut to the face from the bench and you know took his glove off and did it with a bare fist and that's yeah, when yeah that's it Patuzzi, yeah. of course it is and you know that kind of thing you actually even now as someone who watches a lot of hockey that still shocks me because you see oh, yeah. that clean punch to the face and and there's very few nhl fights now at all and very few of them within that small sample that actually ever get a clean hit on a guy's head, which I guess backs up that research of saying that most of the hits or most of the damage is caused by those crunching hits. Yeah. I mean, uh, Tyler Patuzzi got two-game suspension for that sucker punch because he was you know, engaging in it from the bench yeah. and it being a, being a sucker punch. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think concussion is a massive problem in the sport. And I think, you know, that kind of violent sort of physical behaviour is a massive problem in the sport. But I think the sort of NHL have taken the kind of the path that looks like they're doing something by getting rid of fighting when the reality is there's a lot that they're not doing in terms of getting rid of some of the damage of concussion. Mm. Um, and I mean, there are, there are kind of three ways that you can reduce it. And I'm not sure I actually want any of them to happen in some <laughs> ways when you think about it. So firstly is you've got, you can bring back the red line. Yeah. You know, you can slow the game down, you know, bring back the two-line pass rule, um, make the game much slower. People like watching faster mm. faster sport. All the players now have trained for that faster sport. They've they've done that that part of their training all the way through. You can make the game non-contact. Now, you, you can't be skating around at that speed in that environment and not have accidental contact. So if you make the game non-contact, there's going to be even more problems with how you define accidental non-contact. Um, or you can have um, only allow soft body protection. Mm. So players obviously get a lot less shoulder injuries at the moment <laughs> in the last few years because they've had this really hard kind of armour, body armour, the shoulders and elbows. If you change that, that it's very soft armour, so they're, they're not wanting to go into hits. They're not wanting to, to check too hard. Not wanting to get in the way of a puck flying at 100 miles an hour either, I would well, imagine. Well, exactly, yeah. So what you're going to have is a lot more injuries in terms of probably <laughs> upper body injuries, or, um, but you'll have less concussions, I think, as a result of that. But it's whether, you know, whether you want your star player to be out with a shoulder injury or whether you want them to potentially get a concussion that might not, trouble them for another five years yeah it's a, it's a minefield isn't it and you as you say the the league is trying to sell the fact that you know to move away from that those fights and those the physical some of the physicality of the game they're trying to counter that with speed and trying to bring people in by saying but look at what a fast game this is and how amazing is this and i guess if you take that away as well then you're really affecting with the kind of the core game that is ice hockey that so many of us like yeah so oh I was just going to say, when it comes to having the spark that something like a fight ignites within the arena, and I think this is something that maybe you don't often feel when you're watching it in TV, but when you're there live, mm. um, and how because there are less fights that uh, when a game is very flat, then it remains flat, and it just the whole game is just 
kind of just boring really and there was an element perhaps like in the past um and in some leagues now where that still exists where a fight was as much tactical and timely as anything and that could ignite the you know when the the fans needed that lift to make it noisy again to rile up the adrenaline of the players to you know when they or, or an emotional response to if they are being slaughtered on home ice by another team, how to get that momentum and that kind of adrenaline back up. Um, I know that's something that you you mentioned in your interview in in the film. Um, And I found that really interesting because I think when you become an ice hockey fan initially, you just think, uh, as we may, you know, outsiders perceive, goons just wanted to punch each other and get a bit bloody and messy. But actually the code that comes behind being an enforcer, um, that these things aren't just kind of a punch they they kind of chatting with each other uh, when the face off is happening um when they kind of skating back to the bench they'll shout over and say you want to go okay we'll go after the you know <laughs> the next time we're on I, I mean i'm guessing that you would have witnessed and an interview players about this kind of code and these kind of tactical responses in these situations yeah, I mean, absolutely, absolutely. And there's a very good book, um, and I cannot for life of me remember. I'm turning around to look at my bookshelf, and I can't. It must be there somewhere. Um, oh yes, um, it's called The Code, and it is by Ross Bernstein, um, and he did um, a kind of. It was at the start of my PhD actually that I read it, um, and he did a lot of accounts of exactly breaking down what the code is. So I used that um, when I interviewed players talking about it. And actually what I found is that, you know, since he'd written it, things had changed quite a lot anyway. But players did talk about, in broadly similar terms, about they knew when they were fighting and it either had, it was never just a mindless fight. There was always a reason. It was either because it served some kind of function that it kind of was a pressure valve or something, or whether it got the crowd fired up or um, it um, made the other team realise that they couldn't sort of hit them and couldn't behave in an aggressive way towards their own team. It had some kind of function like that. And a secondary to that is the financial element. So there was a link between um, attendance at games and the number of fights that there were. So you still see that in North America now. Um, and you don't see it so much um, in the established um areas where hockey's been well known but certainly in the newer um areas so the sort of southern states and areas where hockey had to establish itself as a sport there was um, a really strong correlation between attendance and the number of fights that's yeah that's really interesting uh, there was a lot said about philadelphia recently and one of the reasons why um you know philadelphia historically one of the kind of the the bruisers of the nhl and and years gone by their teams have just been so horrific to play um but recently that has gone flat and that was one of the things that they were saying why they've decided to sack their gm is because actually the the hockey team in philadelphia which is a big historically a big hockey market is dropping below and becoming like the fourth most kind of you know watch sport and dropping below much smaller historically much smaller sports in the city and that is because you know they played Toronto the other week they lost 6-0 and it wasn't the fact they lost 6-0 it was the fact that there was just no fight and I don't mean that in the fact that there was no one actually fighting there was just didn't seem any aggression or you know people in Philadelphia watching that team and going I have absolutely they've lost their identity and you're right some of those teams they rely 
on that identity to get people to the rink. I mean, Gritty can only go so far. (laughs) So they obviously fought in Gritty this year, but they hadn't had a single fight until November the 27th. And then in two games, there have been two fights. So since Hextall left, there's been two fights and there hadn't been anything up to that point. So it's it's likely that there's some kind of link there with with what's accepted. But, you know, as much as we might laugh at, at the kind of idea that they're using a mascot to advertise themselves on, you know, social media um, and in the club, you know, unless people are interested in the products going on between the period breaks, so the actual game, then people aren't going to go back. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. I, hockey, personally, my personal opinion is hockey's the the greatest sport to watch ever. It's just terrible at marketing itself. I think. Oh yeah, completely. <laughs> like it's just awful. The hockey culture is terrible. You know, the the Carolina thing. Have you both seen this? The Carolina celebration when yes. they win a game on home ice, they do the old Icelandic clap. Yeah. Um, with the crowd and they do this thing. That's hard work to yeah. try. And, we tried that actually uh, for um, Manchester Storm in Altrincham. Yeah. Uh, we tried to do that when we were uh, the fans were there. It was just a nightmare to coordinate. Because <laughs> so they... if you've got a beer in your hand, how do you do it? Well, <laughs> they do it very well in Carolina and then they do, a, they all like, all the players skate down and kind of, you know, jump up against the boards and there are kids on the other side of the boards who are like, yeah, this is amazing. A hockey player just kind of basically shouldered me. Is that because they don't me. score very often? Well, no, this is when they win. This is when they win. Yeah. Okay, so this is at the end of the game. So this is when they win. But what, what you know, this is great fun thing in the NHL happening to a team with a, you know, not a huge market in Carolina. But yet all I can see is hockey, hockey people talking about it going, well, it's just not hockey. Like, it's not oh, know, what you yeah, do. Brian you, Burke, oh, yeah, yeah. Don you, Cherry. Yeah. You put your stick in the air and that's about it. And then you go off and then you go and win the next game. Bore off. Like... Hockey needs to reinvent that side of the game and celebrate that. And if it's making your kind of fan base enjoy something, then you should be doing it. Gritty's another example. Great, something different. I wish the Maple Leafs would do more stuff like that. They don't because they don't need to. But teams like Philadelphia and Carolina who are going through these little kind of identity crisis, great that this is how they're solving it. They've had 12 wins as well right now. So Carolina? uh, Yeah. Yeah, I mind you. I suppose some of those will be away, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's one one really interesting thing that I heard, and I can't remember who it was. And I feel like I should. Oh, it was on Thirty One Thoughts, the podcast uh, with Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick, uh, which is a great podcast to listen to yep. if you're a hockey fan. Uh, one of the things I love that they discussed in the last episode was, wouldn't it be great if a team went to Carolina? beat them and then did all of those (laughs) celebrations on their ice in front of all of their fans and you think wouldn't that be great that would instantly (laughs) form a new rivalry brilliant problem is though that and you'd have a good light like good bench clearance for that as well i think it might be quite impressive (laughs) i mean yeah you'd have your workout with the fighting that would happen in the next game to be honest i think those fighting stats would go through the roof problem is though with nhl away fans don't always sit together you kind of sprinkled no, out across, like aren't that. you? So that's not quite the same as the way it is, uh, you know, for football or, or the way it works in the UK. Um, but I love, I love that though. I really, I really like that. I could sit in the Washington Capitals arena with my Maple Leafs ca- cap on, and all yeah. right, you get a few digs here and there, but nothing that is that makes you feel uneasy or nothing that makes you feel afraid. And for a game that is so kind of vicious and strong on the ice. Do you know what? That whole integration with the fans is great. And now when I go and watch my football team in the UK, I actually look at it and think, do you know what? This segregation thing, I 
I, I, I'm bored of that. Like that kind of, you know, that <laughs> tribal kind of chanting to each other, doing all but this kind of stuff. you need it in the UK. For a game like football, probably. Yeah. yeah. No, I think you're right. Yeah, I think you do. Vic, you tell do. us yeah. about how you watch your games these days. How do you sample your NHL now and, and some of the trips that you've had watching the game as well? Um, yeah, every time I can, every time I have a conference that I can possibly manage to get someone at work to pay for, for me to attend, I try and make sure it's in a in a hockey town. Um, so I've managed to see some good ones now in a few places. Um, I tend to, well, I tend to watch at very strange hours of the day um, in the UK through Game Centre. So um, nothing sort of too exciting, I'm afraid. Um, where where have like you been? Be Which games have you seen? I've seen the Caps play five times, I believe now, across wow. two trips, and I've seen the Flyers, um, and that was really interesting because they were playing um, Calgary last year when I was at a, co- a conference in um, Philadelphia, and I got to see um, Yaga on the ice, and that was like I wanted to see him playing before before he retired. Well, he was still around. It was kind of one of the one of the hit list. But um, I still, you know, I've never seen the Leafs. That's that's my big one. I desperately want to go and see them every time I go over there at summer. And I've been sort of four or five times now in the summer, which is just stupid. Well, yeah, I, will ne- I will never see Toronto in the summer. <laughs> We're trying to arrange um, a, 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 like a group of us to go to the first week of the playoffs in April. Oh, sign me up. Yeah. I'll be there. There we go. This will be good. Yeah, it's one of the, it's the one other thing I know I will never see in my life is Toronto either side of kind of like June and October. It will never yeah. happen that I'll be there in the summer. But, Do you know um, what? It's lovely in the summer. But I've yeah, heard, I've heard. I will just have to take your word for it because uh, sadly I could never justify a trip over there. I think in the thirty years that you've been sporting the Maple Leafs, now is a good time to go. You've you've waited long enough. <laughs> now is a good time to go. I th- yeah, I think so. I think there's. I th- I'll wait till they're in the last round of the playoffs, and then I'll go Ooh. to one of those. Oh, steady. Obviously, steady. I have to sell a sell a kidney to yeah, get the ticket. Say. <laughs> yeah, crikey! Can imagine how much those tickets are. So, what 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 are you, what's um the the things that you're up to right now? Where can people find out more about the things that you're you've been writing about over previous years, and and what do you want to do next when it comes to hockey and writing about this? Well, the the biggest hurdle is that there is no market, no no financial market for um, research on hockey in the UK um, or, you know, in uh, North America as well. So it's incredibly hard for me to continue to do that as as my main job. So I'm now researching back in sort of more criminological research, researching in a different area. But I'm still continuing to write um, a book about my PhD research, as well as an Ice Guardians book, sort of based on um, a lot of the points in the film, but obviously brought um, sort of forward to now where things have changed a lot, even in the two years since it was released. So what was it so, like being part of that film? Because I know you went to go and watch it, um, uh, the premiere of it all, and a lot of the people who were part of that film were there, sat next to you. And um, I mean, I, I, must, I probably would have been slightly terrified, actually. It was, yeah, it was absolutely terrifying um, and also the most surreal evening of my life because I, when I went to, when they flew me over to Vancouver to be interviewed, um, I assumed they were doing a lot of interviews in Vancouver and that I was one of many um, and they picked me up from the airport. No, 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 we're, we're here this week to to film you. And I was like, yeah, but it's just me. It's, you know, this <laughs> is 
wow. this is pretty much. And I actually like, I actually phoned a friend and said, I can't, I, this is this is weird. Am I am I actually am I having a dream? Am I <laughs> has something happened? Because it was only two months after I finished my PhD as well, so it was all like whoa, all happened at once. And then when I went over to the um, premiere at the Toronto Film Festival, you know, just realizing I'm sitting down and I'm sitting right next to all these massive massive names that I followed for years, you know, all these players that are there and. I was so distracted by the fact that no one should ever have to see their face that big on a screen. <laughs> and there I was sitting there with like Brandon Proust sat in the seat behind me and Todd Fedorick sat two across. And I'm just like, oh gosh, this is just the worst thing ever. <laughs> trying to hide my face. That's amazing. But how did you even get in to be a part of the film? How did they find out about you? Randomly through Twitter. Wow. It's just the weirdest thing. But they they were looking for, for what they needed was kind of an academic voice to sort of add to this. So they're looking for researchers who were doing that. And I'd been following them on Twitter because, um, well, before they did another film, a um, really good film called The Culture High, I was um, sort of following them initially. Um, and then they just sort of said, you know, we'd really want to read your stuff and we might, you know, get you in for an interview and I just thought oh yeah you know that nothing will come of it and then it was like oh yeah can you come next week and you know here's your flight here's your oh flight my details goodness me. so it was so random and then I was really I didn't know how I'd been edited in I didn't know whether I was in it because you know on the amount of people that are interviewed but then never make the final cut of things I thought I might not be in it and so until I um saw the trailer and I could hear my voice I was like oh that's cool I'm in it twice wicked <laughs> like amazing I've got to come to Toronto and I'm in it twice that's like really cool and I actually kind of really like settled down after I'd seen myself twice on screen I thought oh I can enjoy it now because it's everybody else mm. and then I was like oh there's me again oh this is weird now <laughs> and I was really concerned that the players wouldn't like what I had to say and what did they say they were so nice. I was really, really shocked. They were just said, you really, you really understand it. What you said made so much sense. Um, the amount of players I've had contact me since then, either those who've been involved or those who know people who've been involved or who've watched the film and ask me more about it or ask for help. I've got quite a few players that have sort of said to me that they're struggling with different things and, you know, they think I would understand it and have reached out to talk to me. Um, other players say they're more than happy to be interviewed for the book. I just, I never expected that from NHL level players. My, my current research uh, at that point had been Elite League in the UK. So I just never expected to be able to have the telephone numbers and contact details for all these really sort of massive names. It kind of, um, very surreal experience. Was well, there any yeah. favourites? I was going to say, it's a credit yeah. to you that that is how they reacted to it as well. I mean, that you know that that obviously shows that your level of understanding was 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 right up there. And it must yeah. it must be frustrating for them as players though, because they probably don't feel they can speak out about some of this stuff. We all know how guarded hockey players are when it comes to talking to the media or even talking in public. And I imagine you know hearing some of their thoughts spoken by you was probably quite enlightening for them yeah a few of them said that they felt like i was saying things that they wanted to sell people but they haven't managed to and that i mean to me honest that was like the absolute highlight of my career you know never mind the actual sort of title of doctor or you know any other publications it was actually thinking that you know people who i'm researching feel that i'm giving a fair 
assumption of them and actually managing to sort of be insightful into their their behavior um it's massive massively sort of you know encouraging when you spent your time researching and you you're so isolated doing a phd when you're writing up you're kind of very much sort of doing it on your own i mean i didn't even watch hockey for a year and a half because i just thought if i watch more i'll want to say more about other things <laughs> i just have <laughs> yeah. to stop and write what i've done so um yeah, it was it was really encouraging, and you know I've spoken to a few of the players involved since, um, and it's it's really um, I'm like feel really honoured that they trust me with their stories, and that they trust me enough to sort of speak to me about how they feel or to phone me up and say things that they're struggling with or um, ask for insight with things. It's really um, really humbling, and I'm really pleased that I'm able to be helpful to people. Who'd have thought that from starting out watching Basingstoke? <laughs> so now you've got now you've got these numbers of really high profile NHL players who are texting you or calling you up saying, Hey Rick, I've got a question. <laughs> Who'd have thought that? I mean, what an incredible achievement. That's probably that's probably Basingstoke's biggest ice hockey claim to fame, that I think, to be fair. I don't think even they will mind me saying that. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, it's 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 crazy, but it's 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 a strange sort of sort of insight into behaviour as well, because it could easily have been, you know, for all I know, I could have been saying something that they really didn't agree with and yeah. they weren't, you know, could have been really angry. I was a bit concerned sitting there with all these ridiculously large muscles around me <laughs> thinking, you know, I'm only little and I'm the only woman in the film. So I was like, oh, <laughs> I feel really freaked out. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a great honour and I'm really glad that they're continuing to you know, talk to me. And I, I think things are changing massively. Like if you look at the, the Players' Tribune um, articles and some of the stories that are now coming out um, from players about some of the problems they face, not just concussion, but also the sort of cultural problems they face, like um, Dan Carcillo um, is very vocal about things that have gone on. And I think as more people start talking, even though those early people who talk are going to be ridiculed, yeah. but the more the more people start talking about those things, which do go on with every player I've ever met, every player I've researched has had some of these problems, um, the more people feel that they can come out and seek help and come out and talk to people. And at least people are going in, uh, this is one of the arguments with the NFL now, at least you know players who are starting out in ice hockey now at least are more aware of the risks involved and... That's that's a start. I'm not saying that's where it can end up and we can just go into it with that attitude, but at least that's a start and there is an awareness of it. And, you know, because ice hockey is not the first sport to kind of deal with this, there is a there is an awareness, at least, of concussion as a thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's also an awareness of some of the cultural problems. Yeah. So the hazing and things that mm. Castello's been talking about the last couple of weeks. Yeah, that sounds um, horrific. Yeah, and, and, and commonplace you know, it was ha happens in every locker room, you know, to some extent. Um, and I, I think things have just changed in terms of what's acceptable and what isn't. You know, that would be very much seen as being don't ever talk outside the locker room about it. Leave it alone. You know, it's very much tied in with sort of masculinity. Yeah. Um, and I think things are changing and people are realizing that they can talk about their experiences now. And that's how change happens. Good. Sounds good. Well, Vic, 
your uh, PhD was called Five for Fighting, the Culture and Practice of Legitimised Violence in Professional Ice Hockey. People can go and search the full things online, isn't it? All 367 it pages. I imagine <laughs> quite a lot of that is references, so that'll cut it down by at least 50 pages. But yeah. if people want to read more, it is available online. Um, and uh, we must get you back. And, you know, when you get your book out, please tell us because mm. we'd absolutely like to feature that on this podcast. I think it would be fascinating to hockey fans of any team of any league oh thank you yeah no it's it's really nice to have this sort of sport that ties in people in different countries and different levels it's just all you know so similar and the issues are so similar but it's always great to talk to people and come on our uh, toronto road trip that we've planned all of five minutes ago oh, do you know what totally uh, sign me right up when for we, that i'll be there beat boston in the first round who do we think? I'm going to put you on the spot now, Vic. But who's going to Ooh. get a Stanley Cup um, first? Washington Caps Ooh. or Toronto Maple Leafs? As in next. I was going to say, though. Next. Capitals, I think. Oh, I was going to say Caps. <laughs> I'm going to put £100 on that. Next. Ooh. Now, if it was this year, I'd probably say Caps. But I think if you say to me, in the next five years then I'm going to say Leafs. It all depends how they do with their wage cap next year. (laughs) Uh, Full circle of the (laughs) podcast. Beautifully done. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly how we started off the podcast. Um, We've been asking all our guests um, that we've had on throughout this podcast uh, who they are predicting for their Stanley Cup final this year. Now, this is getting easier and easier as the season goes on because, obviously, (laughs) the first guest we asked... Not a puck had been dropped yet the season. We asked, we asked Stephen to come up with his fictional Stanley Cup final. Uh, who do you think? I mean, there's a very easy way of getting out of this for you, just picking your two teams for a Stanley <laughs> Cup final. Although they can't, can they? Because both can't. East Coast. They can't. Of course. So you've got to pick between your two teams and somebody from the West who is going to be in the Stanley Cup this year. Stanley Cup final, I should say. Okay. I am going to go with... Caps and hey, no, does that mean <laughs> they sorry. what they beat the Leafs? Are you saying, yeah, but not, not till the conference final? So you're saying it's a Capitals Leafs conference final, yeah, but, I, but I'm cheering for the Leafs. You think you think last year was bad when they were in like the first round or something like that? Conference final, god, jeez, I'm, I'm not planning on sleeping much next no, May. No, no. <laughs> the so, late night games. so you're going with uh, Washington from the east and who from the west? I'm going to go with Sharks. Really? I know. Wow. Random choice, but I think it's all going to come together. Well, Eric Carlson's got to start at some point, hasn't he? From one exactly. doctor to another, Dr. Matt Haywood, who we had on the San Jose Sharks fan, will be very pleased to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly it's a doctor say. thing. <laughs> that just shows how weak the West is, doesn't it? Eh? <laughs> oh, Sorry, you- Nashville fans. <laughs> I'm Winnipeg fans. Sorry. I refuse to ever say that the Penguins are going to be there, so I'm really biased, I'm afraid. So, oh, yeah. like... oh, but we all want Phil Kessel to win another cup, don't we? No? Claire? Where's the no? tumbleweed? <laughs> Vic, it's been an honour to have you on. Thank you yeah, so thank much. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's been great to be here. 
That's Dr Vic Silverwood. She's a writer and researcher and uh, I definitely advise you to go and read and check out some of the stuff. If you've not seen the Ice Guardians film, then make sure you go back and, and watch it. It's one of those films that I've watched two or three times, actually. Mm. There are so many films out there about enforcers, the code and stuff, but I like the way they pulled it together and got the stories. Um, incredible and great to have you listen to us. Don't forget to... Uh, rate and reviewers thank you to some of the people who've left us reviews actually on apple podcasts all the details for where you can get in contact with us at nhl fans from afar and if you could subscribe to the podcast that would be great it will mean you'll get every episode each week as we upload them and get in contact with us as well we're on twitter at nhl fans from afar and just throw us any subjects that you fancy uh, hearing about from kind of our perspective of it. And if you fancy coming onto the podcast and joining us, if you're a fan of any team in the NHL, not just a Leaf, we do accept other fans other than Leafs on really? the uh, show. I know you wouldn't think over the last couple of really? weeks. Um, but yeah, any fans out there who uh, follow the NHL from afar, like myself and Claire, fancy getting in contact with us, then please do. We'd love to hear from you. This show works with you guys getting involved. We'll be back next week. Uh, make sure you subscribe so you find out all the latest and we'll uh, we'll see you in a bit. And William Nylander is a Leaf. <laughs>